Howdy, howdy. It's the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo Radio. My name is Tom Douglas. And mine is Thierry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. Thank you for joining us today. Hopefully you're doing something fun and exciting, like ordering seeds. You know, it's at that time. Oh, yeah. I can always tell when it's that time because Jackie gets a, my wife gets a mountain of seed catalogs in the mail. It's the only thing in the mailbox is seed catalogs. And she spends hours uh, perusing them. And this year, I'm not sure what she's going to do because she's trying to decide if she's going to farm herself this year or lease our farm to a young farmer through oh. the Washington. There's a Washington farm something. Farmland Trust. Is that the one who uh, looks for the people that, you know, matches up the property? We have with a yeah. farm to farmer program. And you're on the board, right? Yeah. Yes. Congratulations. You're listening to Pamela Hinckley, our producer. And um, I am chef owner of a few joints around town, including Sirius Pie across the street. Seat Town in the Pike Place Market area, and a serious takeout out in Ballard. The great Dahlia Bakery. Dahlia Bakery, Lola, you name it, Carlisle Room. Things are hopping in our world. I wish it was a little bit busier, Chef. For starting, yeah, no uh, kidding. This Omicron thing is killing us. But well, it's going to be in and out very quickly here, I believe. Thank you for that, I Chef. Believe. It's Mr. Gonna be down Mr. I've retired know. from the restaurant business. We'll be, we'll be ready by... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Spoken like a true tourist. Yeah. <laughs> There are no tourists anymore. Just, just <laughs> hate to bring it to you. Uh, and you are Chef Terry Rotoro, the chef in the chapeau. That's right. And uh, consulting on a little place in the uh, called Lulu, uh, Concourse B at the SeaTac Airport. I have yet to take a flight off oh. of Concourse B. I think since no, I started flying on the, again. We're working on the on the menu because it's a little bit. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's rough right now with the. Uh, it's a little bit quiet at the airport too. It's quiet, but it's also the employment. The, oh yeah, you know all that stuff. I mean, it, it's the same problem everywhere. Yeah. It's not just one. It's yeah. not just one person. So it's going to be a big show today. We're going to talk about um, innovative savory drinks, and uh, I'm going to look to Pamela because she writes these topics sometimes, and uh, uh, I'll look to her to kind of kick that off the battle of the cutlets do you use pork or veal or chicken what's your favorite chicken chicken really definitely oh i'm pork. in cutlet i'm gonna go I'm veal pork. because we oh, never because okay. ha- i never have it yeah so now we're gonna have a battle you know love stinks sometimes especially around valentine's day so sure we're gonna does. have our favorite stinky cheese picks for valentine's day because you know sometimes Can we have more than one because i mean yes i do more than one. i do but you know what i find difficult is uh it's very rare to find a cheese shop that has everything ripened to their peak t- quality. So you literally have to start. If you want a stinky cheese on the 14th of February, you have to start thinking about it over the next week to 10 days. Leave it out in your dining room. <laughs> <laughs> Put it under your pillow. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you really do. Like if you want an Ipoise Correct. that's uh, at, at its peak, you have at least three weeks on it in your fridge. Yeah. Oh, can we go shopping? <laughs> yeah. I got a better idea. I think you take a trip to France and you go. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Vietnamese style crepes by Annie Elmore. She's the chef here at the Hot Stove Society. Food and Wine magazine predictions for what's going to happen in the food world in 2022. And of course, we're going to wrap things up with our food for thought tasty trivia challenge. Sophia's here taking my picture for. GQ magazine, and uh, other than that, it's been a very exciting day. <laughs> she's taking mine. She's only taking my picture taking, for GQ. She's taking mine for AARP. AARP for you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, chef, what was your taste of the week? My taste of the week is a wonderful, wonderful dish. I'm still tasting it. Um, it's called tinola, which is a fini- Filipino rice chicken soup. Uh huh. And uh, my daughter-in-law, Selena, who's Filipino and, um, or Filipina, and um, she 
graciously the other day send us a text and go, hey, I made some, uh, some chicken rice soup. Would you like some? Sure. You know, well, who doesn't want that? And it so, so delicious. I mean, what you makes know, cooked, it delicious? So what makes it delicious? The chicken was like falling apart. Like okay. all the meat was like mm-hmm. almost shredded, you know, like because it was so nicely mm-hmm. boiled and cooked together. Um, the vegetable, the, she had some shoyote pieces in there. They were really, really delicious. I mean, it was just simple boiled shoyote. Shoyote, kind of like it soaks up what's around it, right? right. It's it kind of like if you think of, think of shoyote as a, to me, I think of it as a broccoli stem. Okay. You know, when you, when you, when texture you, wise, yeah, yeah, the texture wise, it's almost like a, a bit hard, but you know, also spongy in a way of like it swallows anything around it. And if you, it does it cook too soft. Yeah, 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 it cooks too soft. And, um, and then so there was shayote, and there was also an, uh, a green, and I wasn't familiar with moringa, huh. which is a uh, almost looking like a little. It looks like a baby watercress leaf, but it's not bitter like watercress. It's mm. more like basil in a way. And is it added like the last second? It's added. I think it's added. At, I don't know when she put it in, okay. but I got it. It was in there already. A whole bunch of it, and when it cooks, it kind of darkens. It's not green as much anymore. It's mm-hmm. more like a dark, uh, like almost like black almost. And uh, but the taste of that soup was just like it's just like a good home, good home soup. You know, it's like boiled rice, chicken, and the chicken is all on the bone. So so you're eating your soup, and you obviously have bones pieces in there, um, in terms of the breast and all that stuff. She probably chopped everything down. My guess is she chopped everything down, sealed it, and then put the stock on it with the rice. But oh. It was just I was, that's my that was definitely my taste of the week. I cool. was like that was so awesome. Thank you, Selena. Big 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 thank you. Uh, my taste of the week is a cookie that um, you know I'm so sick of holiday cookies at this point. But there's one that I am still eating. Uh, my what is my now my son-in-law's mother to me? What is she? She is my. She's a friend. Friend. She's a friend. <laughs> Uh, okay. Anyway, <laughs> my friend Jenna, who's the mother of my son-in-law, exactly, uh, makes uh, she's a fabulous chocolatier, and she makes a lot of uh, cookies and this and that. But she makes one that I really love, and it's the only way I can say it is it's not like a Toll House uh, chocolate chip cookie. Uh, it is uh, more like um, a shortbread with chocolate chunks in it. Oh wow! And then rolled up like a freezer cookie, you know, and then sliced. But on the outside, it's rolled in demurra sugar, mm-hmm. so it's that, that crunchy crystals crunchy, on yeah. the outside. And but I love shortbreads, but the shortbread's really good, and the chocolate chunk in it is really good. And it's it turned out to be my favorite holiday cookie. And Loretta actually made some because Jenna, Loretta's daughter-in-law, no, <laughs> Loretta is her daughter-in-law. Uh, she, uh, Jenna gave her the recipe, so it's now in our household. You know, I always talk yeah, about yeah, keeping yeah, yeah. recipes, keeping the recipe alive, passing yeah. them down, even if they're not to your own kids, pass them down to your neighbor or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But fabulous recipes tell your life story. And so we now have this recipe in the house, and I'm going to commercialize it because it is so good. You are? Yes. Oh, good. I can't wait. I'm going to teach it to my bakers, and we're going to have it in the Dahlia Baker. That's good news. This is good news. You know I love that. I'm talking about? Did no. you get one over the holiday season? There's only... There's only two left on our counter. I'm craving it. But what I love it is the chocolate is a star, but the cookie is still a star. It's not like some chocolate chip cookies in my mind that have too many chocolate chips and it's like one big mushy pile. Yeah, I don't like those. Every part, the demurra sugar around the outside, the the shortbread is good, the chocolate is high quality. I'm going to call them Jenna's Cookies. 
As you should. <laughs> As I should. And, you know, I have a Nora Ephron over there, the peanut butter sandwich cookie, because Nora had it in the bakery and loved right. it. And I asked her if I could put her name on it. And she said, absolutely. And then the poor thing died six months later. <laughs> Not because of the cookie. Not because of the cookie. <laughs> Well, I'm glad we didn't know she was sick. It was super sad. Anyway, it's peak of the season, dry January. Let's make some savory cocktails, uh, which doesn't mean they're going to not have any sweetness to them. They're just going to be savory, right? Exactly. All right. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. It's the Hot Stove Society Show. Chef in the Chapeau is so excited for this segment. Uh, Diane Cruz is uh, coming around with our breakfast sandwiches for our guest here. We only have two guests because uh, we're taping on an off day and people are COVID crazy. And they're high quality. They're high yeah. quality guests. They they, yeah. they clap like no. They sound when they clap. They sound like there's like forty guests out there. I know. Yeah. Let's try it. Whoa! Yeah. See, see what that. I mean? Yeah. See what I mean? What a crowd! What a crowd! Yeah. What a crowd! Two hundred people today. <laughs> Who's talking about COVID? Uh, we're going to talk about dry January a bit. Uh, it's a, it's taken off. I even It's a movement now for sure. I even know some people that are going <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I even know I a few of my friends. I met one person. <laughs> a few of my friends actually are are I invited them out for a cocktail last night, like a little boys cocktail. Yeah. And I got three no's because I'm doing dry January. Yep. And so I didn't have the wherewithal in my head because it was struck me as so like, "Oh my god, no. No, tell me it's not so." Uh, to say, well, you know, you could just come for a tonic and, you know, yeah. bitters or something like yeah. that. You didn't tell them what I didn't the say that I could, you could make for them. That, that is true. Them. And I was upset at and, myself. And you know what I, I was so excited about is every dry one can be turning into alcohol ones. <laughs> <laughs> you mean in February? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you plan, you plan in December, you drink dry in January, and then in February you go back to, uh, hey, any of this cocktail I can add. Boosted. Okay, Chef, since you're also into it, uh, start so, us off. The number one I'm going to start with is every year I have a big plant of lemon verbena that we dry, and I've talked about that, and we make infusion in the winter. So it's a great way to start as a base. You take your lemon verbena, you make a tea, like, you know, hot water and lemon verbena. Let it sit for probably 20 minutes on the counter, 30 minutes. So now you get all this beautiful lemon verbena base that you can use for non-alcoholic cocktail. From that, I also have... Pomegranate, and I juice the pomegranate oh, seeds. Yes. I take the seeds and I gently roll my pomegranate on the stove, on the countertop. Then you cut it, you cut a small hole on the bottom, and you juice your pomegranate. Then you cut the pomegranate, pull the seeds out. So it's a two step kind of thing, but at the same time, I get seeds and I get juice. And I can use the seeds not, and I can use the juice for my non Well, I understand cocktail. the seeds, but you just juice the seeds. Aren't they gross when you've squeezed them all? No, no. You don't squeeze them out to a pulp. You, you're, you're rolling your... When, uh-huh. You know when you roll a, a nice pomegranate on the counter and you just take... I don't, actually. That's not so how roll, I So roll, how roll I do a pomegranate it. gently for about three, four minutes mm-hmm. on the counter, pressing gently on it so all the seeds get loose. And some of the juice gets loose. So you take a whole... You know you how make, Martha Stewart told me to do a pomegranate? Yes, You me beat too. it with a rolling That's how I do it, too, is you bang on the, on the yeah. normally to get the seed whole out. But I'm going to get some of the juice. Okay. So pomegranate juice, lemon verbena-based tea. That's a great cocktail to start with. Now and you then can what's use, the mixer in it? You like put, you put soda water or tonic or anything no, to break no, no, it up? No, no, no. Just as I'm starting as a tea base, 
So basically, the, the lemon verbena infused water, so uh-huh. which is a tea, right? Or an, uh, actually, it's called an infusion, not a tea. And then you take that, and then you put the pomegranate juice in it, and now you have a base for just something in the fridge. Then you can use, you can add, you can add soda to it, you can add tonic to it. Both of those items. You want it sweet? Work. You could add uh, sprite or yeah. I mean, like you that. can yeah. add anything you want to that. You don't have to add anything to it. It's already an infusion by itself. Right. So that's a nice tea base, and you can put a picture of that on the table. And have that during lunch or dinner or whatever as a, mm. as a drinking um, juice. Okay, Pamela, your turn. Well, I was really excited when I, uh, shrubs started to reappear mm-hmm. in the United States. And in our restaurants, our bartenders got very inspired by making the fruit bases. So right. this harkens back to pre-refrigeration times when people were trying to preserve extra harvest and started uh, drenching their fruit in vinegar as the preservative. But you end up with this beautiful base of the fruit and the vinegar that lends itself so beautifully to uh, a carbonated beverage when mm-hmm. you pour a little soda water on top right. of that syrup. And really and delicious with savory, all savory. So, so savory. Yeah. And playing with the different types of vinegar is exciting. Love apple cider vinegar. But balsamic makes for a really with the. It's not heat. too intense, huh? No, because you're going to add some soda water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you and you don't have to put a lot. I mean, uh, you know, vinegar. I mean, you just put a couple of drops. It really goes a long way. So, you know, and and again, shrub. You can choose the level of acidity you want in your shrub. Or, you know, or the what people call the ugliness part of the shrub. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know, that, I, I think it's cool. I think it's that's very, a big family of, of very satisfying, but. The other things that I've been reading about, ginger is super important. Ginger, absolutely. Ginger really gets you going down a good path for uh, non-alcoholic. Turmeric, ginger. And lemon. That's yeah. kind of the triple crown. And there's also another one. It's greens. Um, you know, arugula, for example. You know, if you, oh, tell me more. If you blanch your arugula quickly in, in boiling water and then shock it and then put it in a blender and puree it, you have a base that is a vegetable base. So you I can hadn't add, even thought of all the bright green ones. But yeah. That, that is... Parsley, parsley and, and arugula just together. I, you're not selling me on a cocktail right now. This is supposed <laughs> to be something like... You sit down with your friends and I'm going to have green juice in my teeth. And it's like... Tom. You're, you're killing me Tom, right now. Tom, this would be... <laughs> Haven't you guys heard like maybe 10 or 15 years, maybe it's 20... Uh, they came out with verju, right? Which yeah. is a ferment... It's, it's fermented, no, 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 but no. it's a non-alcoholic. Right. Vinifera grape juice. Correct. Right? You can get Riesling verjuice. It's, green, it's a green grape. They, they take off the vine in the middle of summer when there is too many clusters on the uh-huh. grape, on the, on the yeah. vine. So why not have an adult beverage like that instead of pureeing lettuce and broccoli in a green <laughs> lettuce, variety, variety. in a green something? I mean, have that for breakfast. Tom, let's move that on. Sounds like a way to start the day. Verjus, do you know how? Verjus, I love the way you say. You it, know chef. how it's acidic so verjus is? It's like acid citric. So you just put a couple drop of that into your drink no, with no, your no, beans. No, 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 Verjus. Uh, Verjus is would, very acidic. No, 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 not necessarily. It's like grape juice. It is. It's very much like grape juice. It's just. You're, you're thinking of something different. No, you're thinking of something different. <laughs> Verjus. Verjus. I've drunk it many times. Matter of fact, I always had it on my wine list for non-alcoholic drinkers, and they were people who were very appreciated, appreciative of it. But uh, here's what I was going to go, if you don't mind, Chef. No, go ahead. I love making my own Bianco uh, because that okay. to me is a kind of a classic. So I'll take a bottle of white wine 
and I'll put some lemon zest in it, some sage or sure. a sprig of rosemary, something like that. And I'll put it. I'll just pour out to make sure it's good. So I'll drink a few ounces of the wine and then fill my bottle with that and let it sit for a day. But you can do the same with grape juice right. with verjou. Uh, you can go uh, the one that uh, I found on Amazon is called Fusion Verjou, and uh, it's Verjou Blanc, and it's um, juice of unripe grapes. It's a, a 15 ounce or 25 ounce regular size bottle for 20 bucks on Amazon or at uh, Total Wine and more. And then uh, you can do the very same thing: make your own Bianco, but a dry January Bianco. It's very lovely, and it doesn't put kale in your teeth when you're having a cocktail. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Thank wow. You for that. wow, Pam, where were we? We were with the arugula. Let me ask our guests we here today the what they would prefer to have as an evening cocktail. <laughs> As an evening cocktail, it doesn't matter if it's evening or not. The it point does, is, it does. if you've juiced your green, you have a green juice. What difference does it make? It doesn't make any difference. You could put verjou in there. You could put many different things in there. But the point is you have a green base to your cocktail, which is at the same time good for you. We were talking about turmeric, ginger, all those different items that you can do and mix with tonic or with just water. I mean, there's nothing wrong with making a tea base in your house and have that as a base to add to your puree of whatever you're going to make, whether it's a fruit, whether it's a vegetable. Mm. I mean, carrot is also a good base. Beets is a great base. You know, you use beet juice for a base, you know, raw beets, and you use beet juice as a, uh, as a base for many, many addition to it. So it's, you know, talking about verjou, you could add verjou to your beet juice. Yeah, and like Cabernet verjou. Yeah, exactly. You mm. could have a rouge mm. instead of a, a blanche. Rouge. I agree. I totally. think part of the inspiration was to treat your palate to a different flavor profile right. than the alcohol-based flavors. And your mind. And your mind. So it's uh, inviting other habits uh-huh. yeah. and tastes. You could also do uh, something like a sangria without alcohol, with blood orange, with lemon, with mm. verjus if you want. I mean, there's many things you can add to, but you could have a stew of macerated citrus into a... Uh, blood orange juice and pomegranate we were talking about earlier and you could let that macerate for a couple of days and then you'll have a wonderful sangria all right since we're not battling about (laughs) savory cocktails let's battle about cutlets when we come back chicken veal steak (laughs) salmon paillard you name it on cairo it's the hot stove society show 97.3 fm And we're back in the Hot Stove Society kitchen. I'm trying to get that delicious Dahlia Bakery mm. egg sandwich. Oh, my God. <laughs> Down. Sorry, my mouth is too. It's so delicious. Oh. While you can't speak, Chef, I'm going to say I was wrong on the verjou of what I was thinking in my head. You are right. It's very acidic. And, and but Wait, that, wait. Hold which, on. by the way, has never happened before. Wait, no, I'm, yeah, so, I'm sorry. I was wait. thinking about this winery down in Napa Valley called Navarro <laughs> Vineyards uh, that was making juice and still does. I just looked them up. Making fresh juice out of vinifera grapes. Correct. They make a verjou, which is the green juice from Chardonnay and Pinot Blanc is what they do. Correct. But they also do a Pinot Noir grape juice, a Gewürztraminer grape juice, uh, and a, um, of course, the verjou. So that's what I was putting on my wine list. Right. Because verjou is very much more like uh, a vinegar. Well, it's more like... So I said I was wrong. You can gloat now. You have. I'm going to give you 20. Are seconds. you kidding me? I'm giving I can you 20 gloat. seconds. This is to the gloat. first time it's happened in 21 years. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you're down to 15 seconds. Oh wow! I'm a. I'm a. Yeah. This you're not is, a very good gloater. You're just wasting no, I'm not, time right I'm now. I'm not. I'm really not. But I'm just enjoying the moment, just because I'm like really? five, 
four, was, three, told you so. two, one. Okay. <laughs> Let's get on the cutlets. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny because Pamela is our producer now and has been for, what, six months or so? About, uh, yes. And uh, I really enjoy what the, uh, you, you bring to the show. But it's also a little bit weird because we have so much history together that I kind of know your taste and where you're full of baloney. But I also know that <laughs> you strive to be a, a, rain, a rainbow girl, right? A rainbow, yes. eat the whole planet, yeah. so exactly. to speak, instead of like focusing in on steak and salmon and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so cutlets we're talking about, and you're going to say chicken is your favorite, but you you prefer not to eat beef whenever possible. You like the other white meat, but even then you prefer chicken. Is that true? Absolutely true. Okay. So why? Well, now that Beast and Cleaver's in my neighborhood, I'm switching <laughs> back a little bit. That's a fun shop, huh? <laughs> it's such a fun shop. But- well, they're sourcing to the right place, which is, I mean, that's a, that's a big, to me, I think that's the biggest problem that we have in our society today is to have an idea. Of, we live in a city, you know, they're bringing the goods to us, telling us whatever they want to tell us. Right. But ultimately, it would be cool to know, and it would be nice to eat less of it, just better of it. Okay, yeah. so let's go to our point. You're in a store. You're in a butcher shop like Beast and Cleaver, or you're down at Don and Joe's in the Pike Place Market, which is where I shop probably the most in a butcher shop. You've got your choice. You've got some veal scallopini, you've got some pork cutlets, and you've got some chicken breast. Uh, Pam's already made it clear she would go if she was making a cutlet. And so when I think about a cutlet, are you thinking about schnitzel or something yes. like that? Or? Yeah, that's what, what uh, I wanted to debate in this segment, the different styles of schnitzel, cutlet, and the frying techniques, the breading and frying techniques. Okay. So uh, I personally would go with the pork. It's it's uh, I'm very bu- cons- budget conscious, and so it's... Much cheaper than right. the veal. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is a guy who buys a couple of beef rack for Christmas. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I bought it for her Christmas present, veal racks. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah. uh, and Pamela, you know, I really want you to put Hercules on our radio show Twitter, eating that veal bone at your house. That was a thing of beauty. It was a thing of beauty. Anyway, chef, so you're at, uh, you're at Don and Joe's, and you've got your choice. What are you going to buy, and how are you going to prepare it? I'm going to do veal cutlet because I never do veal cutlet. I mean, it's so hard to find good veal anymore or mm-hmm. to find veal, period. I mean, most stores don't have veal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to say then 40 years ago, you had veal on almost every, every fancy restaurant. It was a fancy veal. thing, yeah. Yeah, I mean, everybody had veal, veal chop, and then it somehow... The Wisconsin veal raising was... Uh, a well, they had the stuff that was what people considered inhumanely raised. Correct, right? in Which cages. Which is different than a young cow that's been just harvested, yeah. a regular grass-fed cow that's been yeah. harvested at one year rather than the milk-raised calves that never came out of their little calf sheds. Correct. Right? So. And, and, and we all are okay in understanding that, yes, there are some people who do wrong thing and there are people who do right thing. Mm-hmm. So I still don't understand why veal is not more popular than it is because it's a nice clean, uh, you know, talking about chicken or pork, I mean, veal is yeah. as clean. So anyway, veal cutlet, usually about an eighth of an inch thick. That's uh, where you start, that's before where you, you pound it. Before, or maybe like, I mean, what is that? like? Or a, like a half an inch thick. Half an inch thick. And then you pound it gently. So normally it's top round. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, would say, I would say it's bottom round, top round, kind of cut. And it's sliced and it's clean. There is no... No muscles sinew, or anything, no, no sinew, yeah. nothing. Mm-hmm. So you just take it, you put it between two pieces of plastic um, wrap. sheets, wrap, and then you bang on it so it's as skinny as possible. And the reason you're doing this is 
um, a, a veal scallop is a quick in and out of the pan. Like it's a very quick one side, very quick another side, and then you're done. And which, which is you're you're definitely you're not trying to bring it out rare. No, it, no, that's no, no, not no. the idea. So I think some people don't get the sear they need to get on it because they're trying to get it in and out while it's oh, no, still kind of medium rare. Yeah, yeah. You need we're going to go through that process. You yeah. need brown butter. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like to me, it's like Bernoisette is one one on a scallop, mainly because. It takes as long to cook the veal as it does to cook the breading that's around <laughs> that's uh-huh. around it. So, you know, it's a quick one minute, not even one minute on each side, and then you're done. And you get this beautiful golden brown veal scallopini, basically in Italian, or veal scallop in, escalop in French. So is that a, that's just an unbreaded scallopini. Now, if you want to bread it, what are you going to do for like a schnitzel Milk, or? Milk, flour, and um, breadcrumb. Breadcrumb is usually done with the baguette inside the, the white part of the mm-hmm. baguette that's been dried out and then ground mm-hmm. and then roasted mm-hmm. just so you have a nice little color and dryness to it. So that's the three steps. Is, it's called anglaise. You can do eggs or milk, one of the two, mm-hmm. flour. Yeah, so you just do a breading and then very simple salt, pepper, and then you, you pan fry that uh, scallop again. Mm-hmm. That escalope it goes really quick. You know, on both sides, maybe 30 seconds, and then you put that aside. And then the garnish that goes on that is uh, usually lemon, mm-hmm. sliced lemon, uh, just a wheel of lemon with, in the traditional way, in called uh, escalope de veau viennoise, which is Vienne, Vienna. Um, it's, a, it's a lemon slice that's got one-third parsley, one-third chopped egg white, hard-boiled egg, egg white, and yolk, hard-boiled yolk. Gross. And you put that on top of that's the garnish from the Ville uh, Escalop Vienna. Really? Yeah. Now mine's a little bit different. I take uh, at Carlisle Room. I take chicken breast, uh-huh. pound them out. Uh, pretty darn thing. They're probably an eighth of an inch to a quarter of an inch thick. And then I put them in buttermilk and a kind of a soy sauce uh-huh. just for because it's all you know. It's, you can Wait, put buttermilk salt. and soy. Yeah, you can put salt in. I mean, the soy sauce is just for salt reasons. Okay. And you, you put salt in. So then I don't use egg or flour. Right. I put buttermilk and soy sauce, and then I let them marinate for an hour. And then I pull it out, and I make a panko crumb there with my uh, veggie rub and smoked paprika in the panko crumb. Right. Uh, and then I, I just literally pull them out of the buttermilk uh, dredge, put them into the panko, pat them, and uh, let them sit for an hour. And they, they bind up beautifully. Sure. And, they fry up spectacular. I think our schnitzel at Carlisle Room is really good. I'm really proud of it. And, and I, it's a pork I, schnitzel. No, it's a chi- that one's a chicken schnitzel. That one's chicken. Yeah, okay. you can do it with pork, but that one's chicken. And uh, we serve it there with your choice of Caesar salad or not. So uh, that's good garnish. My, that's my new go-to dinner at Carlisle Room is yeah. my Caesar with a side of schnitzel on the and same plate. I didn't mention, but one, one thing that I really love with my uh, uh, escalope de veau is also uh, capers. I love... A good caper finished in the pan. You have that brown butter that's still in the pan. You throw in a, a bunch of uh, small capers, uh-huh. and then you toss that around, and then you put that on your mm-hmm. uh, Ville Scalopini or your. We finish ours. We only serve ours with uh, our shallot mustard uh-huh. and a big a big wedge of lemon. So to me, that's the perfect. It's the perfect way to eat it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Why don't you use pork? You said that was your favorite. I know that is my favorite, it. but there. And I think in general, in public, people, uh, we needed a chicken dish there, and it worked okay. just as well and fine. And so that's one of the ways you massage your menu is to make sure that you uh, have all things for all people there. People love fried chicken, it turns out. They sure do. <laughs> they sure do. It's our number one seller there by double anything else. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
But if you were going to do it with pork, would you change the breading? Nope. Same exact thing. Nope, same exact thing. Or veal. You could do it any of those ways. The uh, pork is going to probably be the more moist, especially if you use um, something like a a pork butt slice. What about you, Pam? You said you were going to do chicken. How do you make it? Panko, but I... I don't. I've never marinated it or, or let it have time to sit with the seasoning. So I'm going to change that immediately. And I also I'm a, uh, I'm a little shy around frying. I think I need more oil to get. Yeah, you to definitely crispy. need more oil. Yes. And so what we do is we use plenty of olive oil and mix it with butter, and then we pan fry it. But we use enough. Is it in the oil yes. or is it on top? No, of it? it's in the oil. Yeah. See, that's. But we use enough that we then pour it off into a strainer, and then we can reuse that oil each time we use some of the previous oil and some of the fresh. Because but doing a scallopini, you don't need a lot of oil. I mean, if oh, you scallopini, have unbreaded, you don't need hardly any. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you have. I mean, if if you have when you're frying a, a veal scallopini or chicken scallopini, if you have an, an inch and a half of oil in your pan, that's enough. Oh, that's an inch and a half, chef. Are you no, deep oh, no, a, a half an inch. Okay. <laughs> Oh my God! Half an inch. I, I just had a heart half attack an and I didn't even eat it. Not a half inch and a half. A half an inch. <laughs> when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about uh, stinky cheese for Valentine's Day and what and when you have to buy it and what you have to do. To it's get already it to, out. To get to do uh, to get it to where you want it to be on Cairo. It's the Hot Stove Society Show. All right, Chef, it's time for the stinky part of our show here on the Hot Stove Society. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Roturo, We're the coming, chef in the hat. coming to you from the beautiful Hotel Andra. I forgot to say that in the beginning because uh, I need to give a landmark about where we are. The Hotel Andra, newly remodeled, is the, our landlord here at Lola Restaurant and the Hot Stove. And uh, Craig is a, is a cool dude. Come down, do a little staycation here. He owns yeah. uh, this hotel and he owns the Inn at the Market. Inn at the Market, so yeah. Do a little staycation here downtown. We could use the business right now. So That's all the tourists sure. have, uh, have left. We need local tourists. Let's talk stinky cheese. Uh, this comes up every uh, Valentine's Day because we were actually going to do a stinky... What, what was it we were going to do here at the hot stove? I think a stinky cheese kind of walk around. Yeah. And, and then so it got this- canceled. It got COVID canceled, I think. It was two years ago. That, that would kill any COVID. <laughs> If you do enough of them. <laughs> but we're going to try this year on Valentine's Day to pull off Love Stinks uh-huh. with a cheesy menu. Right. So I need your help because I, I don't want it to just be a cheese tasting. I want to start uh, with raclette because warm, gooey, oozy. See, I would make that more like a main course because of the, because of the okay, potatoes, well, and the stuff. richness. Because that's I, what I, she's asking. That's yeah, what I'm asking. I, I think that's I would. A great idea. Because it's a heavier cheese in terms of you know you put that you put that in thickness on top of your toast or your your bread. So I would use that more as a main course. But I would do. I would, to me, I would always think about appetizers of cheese being into the fresh curd. But, but you know, but this is all stinky cheese, chef. So you got to th- rethink your your. Passage a little bit. Well, if we're, you we're have just doing stinky cheese, you know, you, you ha- if you have a wild unpasteurized milk goat cheese, even in the fresh section, it can be. They're smelling. It's got it's got some smell to it, and it's got some sting to it. So it's, it's not like bland. Funk. Like often you find some young curd that are very bland. Yes, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the one that's got personality. I have never seen those anywhere oh, yeah. in, our, in my life here. You need to 
you need I to, need to go to France. You need to go, go to France, yeah. <laughs> or Italy or whatever. You'll find some, some cheese curd that are... I'm sure I would, but we're not there, Chef Lo, So let's so, stick to what we could get. All right. So all right. Fresh curd with a little lemon, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe we could leave the fresh curd in the fridge and they'll get stinky or not? Not in the fridge, no. no. The refrigeration unit is meant to conserve in the wood we live in. But it's not meant to age. Nothing right. aged properly in your fridge. So if you go into a cheese cellar in France, uh, like in you know, or in in Italy, uh, in the in the Reggiano Parmesan cellars and stuff, what's the ambient temperature in places like that? Is it sixty or no, so? No, it's a bit lower than that. A bit lower. Yeah, but it's not thirty-one. Or I mean, like it's not thirty-eight. Like it's your not fridge. forty-eight. Uh, a thirty-eight or forty. Yeah. Like in your fridge or thirty-three, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's not that cold. It needs to have a live, the bacteria needs to stay alive to do their work. Right. So it's above, yeah, I mean, when you said 60, actually, it's above 60, 60 and above okay. um, to be able to have the bacteria still living without it being obviously too hot. Okay, so let's, let's take ourselves mentally down to De Laurentiis or the cheese shop up at the Shoreline Central Market. I think they do a nice job. Yeah, they do. Let's do, um, let's just take ourselves there. And what are we going to buy for Pamela? now so that it's perfect because you can buy stinky cheese now that's not quite ripe and, okay, let, so it, and let it if it sits four weeks in your fridge yeah it's going to ripen a you little can, bit you can you can take a camembert which is a cow's milk white in most cases when you buy camembert it's unripe like as in it's not ripe ripen enough so and if you look like, at it you can see it's bright white right yeah, in the and package it, and often if it's hard like when you touch it if it's hard that means it's very young it's not ripened yet mm-hmm. You need to take that cheese and keep it on the counter for a few hours and a few, you know, overnight and then put it back in your fridge and then let it, let it do its thing so it keeps ripening. Your, so, your camembert, by the time you eat it, should be soft to the touch and it should have a stinkiness to it. When you open the camembert that's been ripened properly... It's at, got little brown edge crackles to it a bit, A right? little bit, but more importantly... So on the outside, it's not quite as obvious, but it's definitely not plaster-looking got much more personality mm-hmm. than that it's got some gray it's got some veins going through mm-hmm. but when you cut it your camembert will not be bland as you know camembert in most buffet in this country right exactly you know it will because be, it's only a six-week-old cheese when yeah. you get it right now yeah for me for example my garage ambient temperature is more like 50 to 55 perfect so then i could buy my cheese now it might be a little bit early now, but maybe within two weeks by some th- something like the camera. And the mice are going to leave. And the mice are going <laughs> to Even the mice will leave. But there's, there's some really stinky ones when you get into... Um, Fourme d'Ambert. You get Fourme d'Ambert. You get Bleu d'Auvergne. You get those ones that you can find in most market today. Uh-huh. Um, you know, a, I never find it. They get very funky, though. Oh, the, if, you, if you leave them in your garage for a week? Yeah. I guarantee you, okay. you'll get funkiness. And I never see uh, the stink. I, once in a while, you'll see a poise, maybe around the holidays. That's usually in May, June. Uh-huh. That's when the poise comes around. Uh, that's when, and the same it's for like Montour or things like that. With that Montour. Oh, yeah, Mondo. Oh, my God. That, that's that stuff like, is... I've n- I never see it here. No. It never makes it outside. You and France. I had it, and Pamela did, in Burgundy. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, you can literally go Spoon. pee. Five minutes after having it, and your whole body protein system has <laughs> has absorbed the odor of that cheese. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's a little a, bit like asparagus. Exactly. Yeah. But it's a beautiful, creamy, gorgeous, gorgeous yeah. cheese. And, and when it's really good, it's served with a spoon. 
Correct. Right? That's it's when like, it's fried. Same like with a plus. Like Same with a plus. Yeah. By the way, you can't find those cheese right now, especially not for Valentine's Day. I just, uh, well, I don't know. I don't know if that's true. I mean, true. you could Google it and see if you can yeah, find it. Yeah, you can definitely get it. Um, at, it probably would be coming from New York. That would mm-hmm. be my guess. You could probably get it shipped. And now is the time to do it because you're only a month before. So you, by the time you get it with shipping today, you'll have it two weeks before, you know, probably <laughs> beginning of February if you're lucky. And if then, you're lucky, yeah. You know, you can age it a little bit more. But What about the blues? Uh, there's a couple of French blues that are stinky. Uh, the things like the um, Colston Bassett Stilton and the, uh-huh. some of that, it's not super stinky. It's really creamy. Right. But well, if Stilton you let, is from England, though. Huh? Yeah. There is, there is one French one that I like, and it's called the Roche Baron. It's a beautiful blue cheese. It looks like a, a, a two-inch thick tart. Mm-hmm. We know, and it's covered. It almost looks like a camembert in some ways. And um, it's made with sheep milk. So that's going to get you a little stink compared to cow's milk. Yeah. Yeah. And I like uh, uh, alternating my animals. I want cow. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Pento. You should. You should. There mm-hmm. are some gorgeous blue. I mean, I think Washington State has a blue cheese. We have a blue sheep cheese. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm dreaming. I was at Rogue two weeks, three weeks ago, so I should know this. They have cows, so maybe not. <laughs> But there is a. I know there is anything a, else we're missing in the stinky cheese world that uh, we could get going now, like uh, those little goat cheese croutons. I think they're called yeah. C R O T I N. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those can get funky. They're gonna get funky. And but so the when problem, they get mold on the outside, just trim it off. Right? It's not like it's a big deal. Don't even. I mean, I eat the whole thing. Oh yeah, you're crazy. Mold and no, all. Well, yeah. people aren't gonna do that. I'm just saying. Okay. Well, you, you know. will because you you that you grew up on that kind of thing, but. So my favorite thing I ever did with Rogue is I took a five-pound wheel of Rogue, or three-pound, they come in those little, I think it's five, and I put it into a bag, a plastic bag, with a bottle of Gewürztraminer and let mm. it sit for a year. I, That's an old I, tradition. I did that at, old, at Cafe Sport years ago, and I just turned it every month. I didn't know that's an old tradition. I just did it because that sounded like fun to me. Or the V gets used. Uh, and then different. just turn it and... The cheese ended up becoming a little bit soupy in a funny yeah, way, yeah, yeah. and it was so delicious. Because it breaks down, it becomes yeah. very creamy and runny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we come back, we got another hour of deliciousness right here at the Hot Stove Society. We hope you stay with us. We hope you're in your kitchen cooking something or in your car salivating or wherever you happen to be. Hang with us. We'll be right back. All right, we're back for hour number two on the Hot Stove Society radio show. Coming to you from the beautiful Hotel Andra in downtown Seattle, fourth in Virginia to be exact. And you know, we've been doing this show for uh, quite some time now. Uh, and Over uh, 21 years, mister. I'm going to ask you if, uh, some of your recollections of our show. But first, uh, you know, the next hour is filled with uh, all sorts of goodness. We're going to have Annie talking about Vietnamese crepe. I'm excited about that. And Annie, you know, she's a bit feisty, so we have to be careful and have no, the... No, you have to be careful. Have I have no have problem the, with Annie. Uh, Pam, you have to have the... Or Sean, the beep, you know, for when she uses <laughs> a cuss word. Yeah, yeah. What do you call that when... <laughs> the, oh, the bleeper. The bleeper, yeah, for Annie, because she's a little bit feisty. <laughs> uh, of course, we're going to wrap up the hour with uh, Food for Thought Tasty Trivia. Okay, so... Uh, we've been taping this show for a long time, and it's not always what happens on the air that I have uh, some of the fondest memories of. Although, for the first five years of this show, maybe seven, it was live for three hours every oh Saturday. Oh, goodness. And in the first seven years, I want to say, I missed mm, three shows, maybe five. Maybe. Maybe five not over even. seven years. Yeah, so, Probably not. 
Um, so that was exciting. Yeah. Especially coming from never having done radio before. But some of my favorite memories are t- teaching Terry how to eat junk food after the show. I know. And <laughs> I so, have memories on that, too. <laughs> that is definitely part of my memory of yeah. this. But uh, we used to go to a little restaurant uh, over on in the Cascadia neighborhood because we used to tape at Cairo. And uh, afterwards, so we come out uh, on, in East Lake area, and we go have. And I taught him how to eat a trashy prawn. And so proud! So a proud. cocktail and a trashy prawn, and two and, cocktails. Yeah. Well, you and I. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the coconut, the, the breaded coconut prawns mm-hmm. with the sweet uh, chili sauce, yep. the uh, yep. Thai chili that sauce. That was a nice discovery. I mean, a Frenchman. at the beginning, it was like, why are you eating this? And then it's like, <laughs> you're ah. always very judgmental of my junk food habits. Well, it's no, because I'm just like, you know, you could do better things with a shrimp. Turns out to be that, uh, well, it's actually pretty, pretty it's decent when you're eating variety. it. And, yeah. you know, it tastes really good. So why not? You know, but, you know, part, so I said this the other day on when I was taping an evening segment about trashy food, you know, there's. That's a whole category for me, whether it's the corn dogs that I make. You know, I make the batter, and I, I make my own bacon bits. Uh-huh. And then after I dip the corn, dip the hot dog in the corn batter, and then I roll it in the bacon bits, and then I deep fry it. Now, that's trashy good, right? And that is the... Uh, it's trashy killer. You can go look at all my evening segments on, on the King 5 website. But that's the number one watched segment that I've done in the 10 years I've been doing that show. Yeah, so. people love to read. That. I mean, it, it's fun to watch this and go, oh, that looks so delicious. Now, go ahead and make it and eat it. Or, or trash. It's just trashy good. Yeah, right? it's very yeah. trashy good. I, I, I'm fine with uh, trashy good. Like barbecue potato chips are trashy good. So Oof, there's to it. That's not something so, I'm uh, used to. I have another one, but I'm going to let you go now. A memory of the No, show. I think to me one of the memory in the same realm is... The first time I went to Kentucky Fried Chicken with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, we did it we live. Had, we, we, taped we did it. it live, and then we taped it when we were there because I'd never been to Kentucky Fried Chicken. And he, Tom could not believe it, and, and I was like, I mean, to me, my philosophy has always been the same. If I don't have to eat that, you know, I'm a very lucky person. I'm just, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just fortunate. I recognize my fortune, but if I don't have to eat it, you know, I, I'm one of those guys who can drive in front of a Kentucky Fried Chicken famished and not think of going there. That's how bad yeah, it is. Yeah, that's the part that I can't do. I know, but that's because I wasn't raised with it. You know, to me, mm-hmm. that does not, that does what, not make what, me... What, if you're starving, like, I'll, I'll go get a McMuffin, like an Egg McMuffin or if something I'm like starving, that. If I'm starving, I'm going to go to Le Panier but, and get a so Jean sandwich. you couldn't drive by a French bakery if you were super hungry, right? Is that no, what you're saying? No, I would, I, would, I would find a place where they have a good sandwich or a good... Viennois but if you're super beer. hungry, super you're in your hungry. car, you're well, driving... I would go to Baba and, and get a bottle of food. You're angry. No, 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 but you're not driving by, but I know you, there's what restaurants you would go. <laughs> Dude, you wouldn't, there's one thing that would make you stop, like that you wouldn't normally go to. Okay, so I have been in that situation, let's say driving from Bellingham to Seattle, and really hungry, like forgot to eat on the way out, mm-hmm. but I and really hungry. I do not stop until I get to Baba to get a you bowl of food uh, or home to make something. No. No. Okay. I, none of the places I see on the side of the road go, oh, I'm going to eat here. Oh, I'm going to stop and eat here. It doesn't click. Yeah, I have my go-tos at all of them. Like, you know, if I go to Starbucks, I have my go-to. Uh, all, but I've know, done but, that same road with you, doing the radio show in Bellingham, uh-huh. and stopped on the way and had a burger in some place that's supposed to be famous, the Brothers. Uh, yeah. 
And that was Five fine. Five Guys. That, that was, was fine. fine. But, that was not a good burger. I don't like their burger. But I've, I've, st- I've driven by so many times after that and been hungry and not stopped because... Here's one, my other favorite, uh, one of my favorite memories of you and I. But again, it was after the show. Uh-huh. And the restaurant that we used to go to in the Cascadia neighborhood was closed or we were going for something different. And so we went to Joey's on Lake Union. Oh. <laughs> Do you remember? Oh, yes. And One we're sitting the there. We, we got thrown out. <laughs> we were sitting there drinking uh, or ordering our cocktail, and the, the manager comes over, the waiter comes over and says, Sir, could you remove your hat? And you know, you're the chef in the chapeau. You right. don't remove your hat. No. And you said, uh, No. He said, Sir, please, could you just remove your hat? And. We're at Joey's I know. in the bar <laughs> on Lake Union, and um, I'm looking at him, and it's like, what is going on here? What is the big deal? We couldn't figure it and out. And so then the manager comes over and says, sir, you have to remove your hat. We don't allow hats because it's considered gang wear. <laughs> and, of course, you have the chapeau on. Yeah. And... Uh, we both just looked at each other and we got up and we walked right out of jail. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, that's a bit of a, like, you need to I have, get it. Yeah, I understand. Every I restaurant's understand. got their own yeah. rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, don't, you can stay or not stay, so yeah, exactly. we didn't stay. But it was one of the funniest things ever to oh, yeah. have you thrown out because of your gangwear <laughs> hat. <laughs> uh, one of my fondest memories was Jacques Pépin being here on the show and, uh, you know, doing all kind of a party after the show and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And the other fondest memory is all the different tastes that I have learned to uh, go through with you through the many years. We've done many tastes of... The Hot Stove Society tasting panel. Correct. Yeah. We, you know, the different product. That's been uh, definitely an eye-opener for some items and definitely a confirmation of why I don't like certain items. Okay. There you go. If you have uh, an idea of a favorite moment on the show that you've heard... Uh, Email it to Pam, and she's going to get you a little gift. It might even be our new taco seasoning, which is uh, being uh, packaged today. We have fish tacos down at Seatown, and the rub that we're using on them, uh, we have put into a jar, and it's super lemony, limey, and delicious. Out there now, out there, starting next week. What are chefs saying about dining out trends in 2022? We went to Food & Wine magazine to find out. And we're going to tell you that when we come back on Hot Stove Society Radio, 97.3 FM. Breaking news here on the Hot Stove Society show. (laughs) Chef Terry likes Burger Master. He goes there secretly, and we've just exposed him, and blah, 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 blah. Of course. Here's what chefs are saying about dining out trends in 2022. According to Food and Wine magazine, Pamela, what do you got for us? I don't think it's going to come as a surprise to many people, but menu prices are going up, but menu selections are going down. Absolutely, and that's a good thing. I think so, too. The I think Focus I think f- on focus. fewer things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Focus on... on Focus on good dishes, well provenance, you know, just educate. And it's, it's about time we figure out that food is not cheap. You know, the people who make the food in order to make it well to feed the city dwellers than we are, because that's, the, that, that's one of the highest conjunction of where the equation needs to meet. We live in the city, so you need to bring the food to the city. And to make good food come to the city costs money. The only thing I would say is that chefs' wages have gone up quite a bit too, and I I, I like that. Yeah, uh, cooks are, have always been underpaid, and um, 
uh, they're now um, starting to make a better wage, and I yeah. think it's great. So Well, and that was another thing that they called out was the industry is ad- adopting the tip pool model. So now that it's shared with the whole team. Correct. That's, uh, well, some produced, people are. Yeah. Many yeah. are. But it used to be illegal, right? It's the Ninth Circuit in uh, California actually is the one who turned that around. And uh, uh, under Mr. Trump, I don't tend to give him credit where credit's due sometimes because other things that he does uh, makes me nuts. But um, that was one of the things that uh, helped out in, in our world uh, under his time. All right, what's next? Vegetables are going to be more main course dishes. We're very excited about are that. Are we excited course. about that? More entrees based on vegetables. I think, it's, uh, I think it's coming. It's been coming and it needs to stay. And gr- it's definitely growing exponentially, I think, over the last year or two. I think people are figuring out how to... I think it's more importantly starts at home. People are figuring out how to use vegetable other than just throw That's broccoli, a, broccoli yeah. in a steamer. You know, it's like they're figuring out how to use it differently. It's like a chef idea. So Here's what I'll say to that, Pamela, a little bit. Because you and I have been ranting about this fake food being developed, vegetarian food being developed in labs instead of just eating vegetables. Um, I was thinking about that the other day. Uh, my team was trying to make a... Impossible Burger Taco Salad down at Sea Town is one of the new menu items. So we were doing a tasting, and I said, "Pam's going to go crazy if I put this on the, the menu down here." But I do think it's been interesting. If you look at the transition, as people are starting to eat more vegetables, maybe some of this fake meat uh, is helping that transition to whole vegetables. That is, or in to their more vegetarian. Approach. Is it? They defend it with that uh, transitional. But flavor. I wish people would transition right out of the impossible into whole vegetables and whole grains is what we're, you and I are saying. Mm-hmm. All right, what's next? Well, this one was a big surprise to me that um, the prediction is that potato milk is going to replace almond milk because people are very concerned about the almond harvest and the use of water for the almond crop. Mm-hmm. And the, um, our friend who works for a winery down in California, they own some olives groves in their ripping them out because they don't have the water they don't have the water uh to produce and so do grapes crop. use less water than the yeah. uh, i know almonds are the biggest water hogs of all if i'm not mistaken yes i don't i don't know that for a fact but I'm, I'm hearing that and there's a lot more interest in the wine industry in dry farming now so right live off what the land gives you yeah but I hadn't thought about potato as a source of... I'm surprised uh, that they wouldn't uh, go with oat milk instead of potato milk on that. Because potatoes are in short supply. Potatoes are... Like, we're struggling to get our tater tots right now. Really? Well, that doesn't mean potatoes are in short holder. They are. They're in short supply in Japan. They're in short supply all over the world right now. Potatoes? Yeah, potatoes. Wow. But uh, almond milk, going back to that, I had heard something like 20 gallons of water per almond... Oh. Is what it takes by the time you start the season and by the time you get all the way around to a ripe yeah. nut. It's so. uh, it's guilted my husband out of buying his beloved almond butter anymore. Really? And I am bummed. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, this one, and uh, we found this with the Starbucks group we were uh, working with, the salad dressings getting more innovative mm-hmm. because they make or, can really make or break a dish. And there are so many wonderful ways that you can um, make them more complex beyond olive oil and vinegar. But even 
um, dressing up your green goddess and your ranch in new ways with new additions. Fresh herbs is all it takes, honestly. Yeah. So, yeah. I think also then the home cook needs to partake in that because that's how you're going to get much better dressing. I think that's, you know, the problem is if you keep having a dressing in the middle of the store for six months, uh, you know, for a shelf life requirement. Shelf-stable dressing. Shelf-stable, you, you know, it, it's going to need some something that you probably don't want in your dressing or you probably would live without. You know, so the idea to me is like, Figure out how to mix oil and vinegar with a little Dijon mustard and, you know, you get a wonderful... No, but that's only one kind. If you go to no, no, the produce saying, department now, and all those refrigerated dressings, there must be 50 kinds of dressings. So, right. like, whatever mood you're in, Correct. boom, you can do it. Yeah, and those are the ones that are going to win, is those refrigerated dressing, as opposed to the ones, you know, shelf-stable. Mm -hmm. I think that's where we're going to... Let's move on away from something that's never going to die versus something that's fresh. <laughs> <laughs> And um, many of the chefs pointed to getting back to a hyper-local focus, partly because of supply chain issues, uh, but combined with supporting your local farmers and producers. Yeah, and, and by, having, by having less item on the menu, you're more focused on that kind of behavior, and I think it helps making it just local. Because when you say, uh, as a restaurateur, when you say, I'm just local, and then, you know, you have to have whatever. You feel like you have strawberry in December. That's not very local. But, you know, if you start focusing on what's available locally, you're going to use pear and apple like, like we should in the winter, you know, and, and nuts and chocolate. What and do you think? Do you think restaurants are going to – I mean, preservation has always been around, whether it's duck confit or, right. or, or aging cheese or whatever. Preservation of foods – out of their season has jams. been around for a long time, Penny. right? Jams and and shrubs and things like that. Do you think future restaurants uh, that are artisanal, because uh, that's becoming a rarity, mm -hmm. uh, do you think that they're going to build more storage space so that when strawberries are out, uh, you can freeze, you know, 200 pounds of strawberries? Or do you think they're just going to not serve strawberries outside of the six-week season? I think then they are going to do more of that. Yes, absolutely. Freeze dry, uh, you know, all kinds of different uh, ways of conserving items when they're in bulk of season. Uh -huh. That's the way life has always been in terms of in the old days. That's just the way it was. And when I say the old days, I mean like 100 years ago, up to 100 mm -hmm. years ago. That's the way it was. You collected during the summer. And then you enjoy during the winter. But you was, didn't, in the old days, you didn't collect strawberries. You didn't freeze dry strawberries. No, but you can jam. You can you can so you jam. Just, you just you can use it. the product yeah. for what can last the longest. So mm -hmm. you can use it in February when there is in Seattle there is nothing left alive. You know, by February after you've gone through the rain, the snow, the freeze. You know, so you have all those beautiful product in your in your uh, pantry, you know, and, and that's what... Right, but right now, we have freezers, and so that product lasts, even even the fresh product lasts a little longer as yeah, yeah, yeah. quick yeah. frozen. Right, individually But still not frozen. forever. It, all, it gets frosty and nasty. And cryovac yeah. is also another way to, you know, once you remove the air out of a bag and you seal tight, that can keep forever. I mean, you can keep I, that for I a long get time. It, but, man, I, have a, I struggle with all the plastic we're oh, using. Oh, no, no, definitely. There's is, an issue. Uh, it's a huge yeah. issue. I was yeah, at yeah. Costco the other day, and it's like, oh, my... Oh, my Lord, there's a lot of plastic in our world. And they're trying a little bit harder, I think, to get rid of some of it. Right. So, so. the freeze-dry, I mean, the, to me, the freezer is definitely a good friend. You know, buy an extra freezer in your house and, you know, freeze as much as you can on sheet pan, individually quick frozen, then repack everything into a bag, then put that in the freezer and then, you know, put a date on it and then use it for the next six months till the next crop comes around or yeah. just before. 
That is definitely a trend that they also called out as pantry to table. Yeah, as absolutely. As an extension of preserving in-season yeah. products yeah. to have in the winter yeah. or later. Uh-huh. I mean, you, I remember I like my, I remember my mom canning tons of white asparagus every year, and you'd have those jars in the cellar. And, you know, in the middle of January, you just pop up a nice can of white, stru- uh, white asparagus. <laughs> What are you making? I'm that sure face? your mom's were delicious, but what the is, whole idea of it. What are you making that face for? Yeah, exactly. Never a mind. nice lemon hollandaise. I love your mother. Uh, Annie Almar is going to be here to talk Vietnamese preps when we come back. It's the Hot Stove Society show on 97.3 FM. Wow. And we're back on Cairo Radio. It's uh, the Hot Stove Society show. Our favorite chef here. <laughs> well, I was trying to think of I was trying to think of the class that Matt used to do. Uh, Matt Fortner used uh, to do cooking, cooking, cursing, and drinking, and cursing. Yeah, yeah, cooking, cursing, which you could easily handle that class in Matt's absence. So, uh, Annie Elmore is here. She is a resident chef uh, at the Hot Stove. Teaches some classes and also does all the prep for all the other classes. Annie, you are being joined by myself, Tom Douglas, and the chef in the chapeau. Mr. Thierry Rotero. Bonjour, Annie. Bonjour. Very nice to meet you guys yeah, again. Yeah, awesome. Again. <laughs> uh, a couple of weeks ago, Chef Thierry did a class here of French-style crepes. Oh, she yes. prepped me. She, she she's prepped, the one who made me successful. She, she crepped you all right. She made <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of crepes. Uh, and she Sean knew exactly too, right? what to do. Yeah, and Sean, Sean as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were my, my, uh, they were my chef. I was just a sous chef in this case because... I was, we know, were, chef. We know. The other we, one who did all the work. So. We went through it once already. We don't need to relive it. <laughs> yeah, you just looked pretty on the stage. Exactly. Okay. So let's talk about Vietnamese-style crepes. Yes. Uh, the ones that I order every time. I think when I am ordering in uh, the restaurants uh, where I go is Ban Zao. Is that how you say it? Ban Zao. Yeah, so it's like I said. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, what, I, what I think that I'm ordering... Um, is a, when I'm ordering that is a seafood crepe. Is there is it a seafood bunzao? Uh, well, traditionally it is surf and turf, so okay. pork and shrimp together. Okay. That is a traditional filling. Mm-hmm. And so, tell me about it. Let's start from the beginning and, and kind of verbally teach people how to make that crepe and what they need to have around in their house. Well, that, my first question is: Do they look like my crepe? No. no. Oh. There's no eggs in yours uh, or in ours. First of all, there's no eggs. There's no butter. There's oh, no leaving. whole wheat <laughs> or kidding. wheat flour or buckwheat flour or buckwheat flour. Okay, but I mean, some people modify the recipe a little bit. They sometimes they add a little bit of wheat flour, like all-purpose flour, for the structure. All right. Uh, it's a little bit easier to work with because the gluten helps them to um, pour it out into. A, let's a let's not do that. Let's yeah. make it hard. But I my recipe is just cornstarch and rice flour, so it completely uh, gluten free, and that's what traditionally was. Uh-huh. Uh, we don't really have wheat flour in Vietnam. Okay. Uh, and so coconut milk to replace milk, uh, as the French do, uh, and there's enough fat in the coconut milk. That acts kind of like the butter mm-hmm. uh, in a way. So you don't add additional uh, oil or anything. Um, good amount of turmeric powder to make it look like there's egg in there. And butter. But, 
yes, and butter <laughs> uh, to create that yellow color on the crepe. But it's technically from the turmeric powder instead. And lots of green onions. That's my favorite part. If you skimp out on green onions, doesn't taste good anymore. Right. And there's a couple of vari- variations. Some people add mung bean to it too, mm-hmm. uh, for um, like more of that texture and uh, that creaminess in there. And it's you, the sprout. They use the mung bean sprout. Uh, well, the sprouts inside, and also the dry mung beans okay. in the batter in the as batter. well. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't do that because it takes too much time and it adds more money. So I just <laughs> for do mung sprout, uh, mung beans, the dry mung beans. It's not, it's not cheap. Things don't. Things I cost pay you money, a lot. You know, I pay you a lot. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, so uh, the batter itself now, texture wise, is mm-hmm. it's very similar to a French crepe batter from. It's a from, lot uh, thinner though. Okay, so because it comes out a little bit lacy, right? Yeah, it's a lot thinner and a lot crispier. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because there is no butter and no eggs. There's no butter and there's no eggs because it needs to cook off the water. And what's left is the flour um, and the coconut milk form that crispiness. Mm-hmm. And your, your crepes are more soft, right. you know, just slightly crispy on the outside, but it's more soft. Right. So that way you can fold it in. But ours is like... You want it, that crispiness. You want that nice pan. And brown on it? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and how thick do you pull the butter? I mean, how much butter do you put in the pan? Batter. No. Batter. No. Yeah, no butter. No. No, no, batter. Oh, oil, batter. How much the of batter? the batter do you put in the pan? Um, let's just say if you were to use eight-inch pan, yeah. um, two ounces of batter. Oh, so it's as thin in terms oh, of thickness. Yeah. It's as yeah. thin as a French crepe. Well, the more you add in there, the uh, less crispy uh, right. of your crepes because it's thicker from the flour, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, rice flour is like the more you add, uh, it gets more gummy, but less you add, it gets crispy. Right. Right? Uh, yeah, you kinda, can't. Yeah. No, I get Now, it. when I've had that crepe in Vietnamese restaurants, uh, it has stuff in the in the batter itself, but it's also generally has fillings. Oh, yeah. That they're wrapped around. And then mm-hmm. uh, typically what I've seen is it's served with lettuce leaves and fresh herbs. Oh, yeah. Like maybe a little uh, fresh uh, Vietnamese spring roll, chaya, or something like that would yeah, be served. Yeah. yeah. Like you said, you know, a lot of fresh herbs and vegetables. So lettuce, I mean, like abundant of fresh herbs, like cilantro. Basil. Um, lots of basil, mint. And sometimes it even comes with pickled daikon and carrots mm-hmm. to kind of make it uh, a little bit more sweet and sour, so mm-hmm. that doesn't make you feel like you're eating a lot of fat because right. you do need. Because you are, yeah, you are. <laughs> as much of vegetables there are, you need good amount of fat to fry that pancakes up to make that crispiness. Uh-huh. Um, but also for us, we love to eat anything with lightly. We call it cold pickle. Um, you don't cook the vinegar um, mixture. You just pour it into the vegetable and you let it steep for two, at least two to four hours or even overnight. So it still will absorb all that vinegar, and, but then it stays super crunchy and crispy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Instead of heating the vinegar solution. Yeah. yeah, okay. yeah. So the crepe itself is not folded because it's too crispy, right? You can't no, really you roll fold it. it. Yeah. Oh, you, you fold, fold it? it when it's still hot. So you fold okay. it halfway in. Right. Yeah, and then... Um, so it's almost you, like a taco, soft taco? Yeah, so usually I, what I do is um, I cook it halfway, and I kind of check to see if um, the batter is ready to flip uh, or lift off from the pan or not. Right. Then I 
put in all my bean sprouts that Tom had and um, you know, meat, whatever mixture that you want to put I'm in I'm sorry there. I could afford bean sprouts. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> no, bean sprouts I cannot afford. I just dry mung beans I can't afford. Okay. All right. Um, so you fold it in half when it's still malleable. And then I'll fry the other side. And then once the other side is super crispy, I'll flip it to the other side. Okay. And just cook a little bit more. Um, but you don't want to flip it too late because it will crack. Okay. But also you don't want to flip it too early because then it won't cook all the way through the top part that you flip it. over. Yeah. And so that just goes onto a plate with your with your like uh, the one that I get up at. Uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the one up about 140th and Aurora. It's got the octopus logo, a Han something. Like uh, by Redmond. No, 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 right up on Aurora. Oh. Uh, anyway, uh, they have a seafood version of that. So is that just adding shrimp and, and scallops and stuff to the inside? It's not in the, wow. It's not in the batter, right? No. No. So that's just an interior addition. So they cook that on the side and put it into yeah, the crepe. that's what I was saying. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. there are two ways for you to add the fillings in there. Um, my mom does it differently. My sister does dif- differently. I use my sister's method because I think, what she's doing, it adds more flavor. Some people, they saute their fillings, you know, with the onions and then whatever meat mixture or seafood ahead of time. Then they set it aside. Then they make the crepe. Then they add that in. But my sister, what she does is she saute all that, then add the batter in there to kind of release more oh. of that flavor and caramelize the onion and the and the seafood and almost there. like an omelet idea yeah exactly but then you're already adding more of that caramelization into the pan and mm-hmm. more flavor and instead mm-hmm. of cooking ahead of time yep. pull it down and add it in there you know mm. plus it's only one pan exactly <laughs> yeah so that's two ways you can do that that's practical i like the that's idea. what i that's what i was getting at because i didn't understand what you were saying because to me when i've had it up at this other restaurant it, it felt into- like it was the, the crepe was the whole thing. Yeah. And so they're just adding the filling to the crepe batter, essentially. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah into the pan. And they always say, like, this takes 15 minutes if you're going to order this. It, you know, well, that's why, because they're cooking from start to end. Like, mm-hmm. they cook the seafood fresh. They didn't cook it ahead of time right. and then reheat right. it in right. the pan. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which but you is have probably to be patient with that crap totally. because you want it to get crispy. Yeah, you want to make sure it's cooked all the way. So. At least 15 to 12 minutes, you know, because yeah. the pan has to be perfectly hot and stuff like that. That's totally fine. I, I like that idea. I mean, I like the concept of that. So. And it's a little bit like green onion pancakes. They keep the same pan for that crap because it trashes the pan. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. yeah. And that's why you have a have a special bunsel pans. And my family, they do that. They have a pan just to make exactly. bunsel. And you don't touch that pan for anything else. You keep that for bunsel. Is it a nonstick? Yeah. Probably didn't start that way, but it's become that way. Yeah. Yeah. And so just so that you're, if you're going to look this up online to get a recipe, B-A-N-H, bun, zao, Z, uh, X-E-O, bun zao, right? Yes. I don't know she why just, you keep... Her that. eyes roll. To, every time she, she talks to me, her eyes actually she needs roll to go high on the literally to test. the back of her head. Well, I'm, try, I'm trying to hear the, the word that you're saying because I'm hearing Z instead of X. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, whatever. <laughs> uh, when we come back, Andy's going to join us for a little tasty trivia on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. And 
And we're back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show. We're trying to get caught up here. Um, Annie, we forgot to say when your class was. Uh, Pamela, when is Annie's class? January 29th. There's only a couple spots left. Sign up. If you want to uh, come learn how to make the Banzhou crepe, a Vietnamese crepe, uh, and I'm sorry I'm saying it wrong, Annie, but uh, if you want to make that the way Annie says it and makes it, uh, then uh, you can come on January 29th. Go to hotstovesociety.com. All right, time for Tasty Trivia. Uh, and uh, chef, you should be very concerned about this because I'm extremely concerned. She is super competitive, and she's really good. Uh, trivia is brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs and Sauces. They're versatile, and they bring extra layers of flavor to just about any meal. Look for them at your local grocery store or specialty shops. They are made right here in Ballard, uh, and they're all at all three locations of Tacoma Boys Markets, West Seattle Thriftway, Princess Seafood. In Fort Bragg, California. And in my cupboard. And in your cupboard. I wish they were <laughs> by your stove. That would be better. Uh, Pamela, tell us uh, who's going to win this week. And what they're going to I'm not sure. They've already won, right? So not the, the, the winner of the prize and uh, how to play the game. The winner of the prize is our enthusiastic audience. Yay! <laughs> Rubs of their choice, the okay. ones they, that don't have in their cupboards. All right. Uh, and my three contestants are getting really five easy questions today. Woo-hoo! They're all cheese-themed. But, of course, there will be a loser, and the loser will present the prize to our enthusiastic audience. <laughs> I give it to them now. I'm sorry you're going to have to have that interaction with Annie. Take me out of my pain. I'll do it now. <laughs> All right. Senor Terry. I start. Go ahead. Yes, please. What type of milk is used to make the real mozzarella? Buffalo. Yes. And if you've ever tried milking a buffalo, good luck. <laughs> Number two, what cheese is used in tiramisu? Cheese is used in tiramisu. It's not Kraft Philadelphia cream. <laughs> no, because Kraft wasn't around then. Mascarpone, thank you. Yes! I was like... You got it. It was looking, in there. I was looking for the name. <laughs> you mean? It's Italian cream cheese. Did you give him the answer? I tried, but he wasn't listening. I wasn't even, I wasn't even thinking that. I thought he was just making a joke like Kraft. I'm like, oh. no. Go ahead. What is the most popular cheese in the United States? Oh. And not necessarily from its country of origin, but style of cheese. Kraft American Singles or Velveeta. I would say Swiss cheese. Mozzarella. What? What wow. cheese is used in a cheesecake? Uh, Philadelphia Kraft. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Correct. <laughs> thank and, you. Thank you, Tom. This time, thank you. And from which French region does the camembert come? Normandy. Oh, you are smoking today, chef. Four out of five. Yes. Ooh, look at Annie. Annie. Annie's over there like... You got to do five. Uh, she's, she's so fidgety now. That was not fair. He got all the He got easy super answers. easy ones. Yeah. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Wait till, he, wait till we hear your question. <laughs> I, know, I know the way it works. <laughs> uh, which country is the largest producer of cheese? And this includes artisan as well as commercial. America. Yes. yes. Number one, USA. <laughs> you know, a side note, one day they had a cheese convention. I don't know if you remember this, Tom, about seven, eight, society, eight years yeah. At the um, Symphony Hall, at the yeah, Ben Royal Ben Royal Hall, they had 
1,800 different cheeses and only about, I think they had maybe 100 from France. They didn't bring the whole section. But I was stunned that we had 1,700 American cheeses. Now, not all of them were as delicious as it could be, but uh, <laughs> there was a lot of super delicious cheeses. We're still number one. Who cut the cheese that day? I bet it was, I bet <laughs> yeah, it was the, stinky. The too. whole way, the whole way of uh, Benaroyo Hall has never been the same. Oh, boy. What is the most popular cheese recipe in the United States that people eat as a meal with cheese? Cheese sauce? <laughs> no, I would say, I would say, I would say maybe mac and cheese. Think, think, maybe, mac and cheese. think about tube pasta. Really? People eat that much mac and cheese? Oh, yes. Mountains. Oh, God. Mountains. I know. Okay, this one's true or false. Manchego is a French cheese. No. Correct. That is false. Where is it? Spain. Yep. I didn't know this. How are the holes in Swiss cheese called? What are they called? Um, holes? Eyes? Yeah! Oh my gosh, she goes, yeah! <laughs> like this. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which Greek brined curd white cheese became a protected designation of origin in 2002. When? Which one? Which one? Oh, which one? Which, yeah, which Greek brine? Edda? Yes. Yay! Yeah, four out of five. Oh, you guys are tied. Oh. We're tied. Oh, tie. She's got the eye advantage. <laughs> <laughs> Tom? Pamela? Tom Pamela Hinckley? Is this true or false? It's true. Um, Parmigiano Reggiano is made from unpasteurized cow's milk. From unpasteurized. It's true. It's true. Correct. Because it's aged long enough, it can come in yep. to our country. Okay, overachiever. <laughs> over, over, I think it's over 90 days, right? Yeah. The, is this true or false? The UK doesn't produce many varieties of cheese. That's false. Correct. Oh, boy, you're on a roll. Mm -hmm. Okay, here's the tough one. I'm on a cheese roll. Yes, you are. <laughs> on which island can you find a cheese containing maggots named Kasu Martsu? On which island can you find a cheese? Corsica. Yeah. Sardinia. Sardinia, right next door. Right. You know what? They float from one place Maybe. to the other. There's so many maggots. So are you the cheese travels from one place to the other. It's only seven kilos. It's called kilo. the maggot ferry. <laughs> Are you giving it? To are, are we having all these cheese yes. questions because of our our, our, our Valentine's Day? Stings, We're yeah. giving love it to stings. him because it's you couldn't be any closer from okay. Corsica to Sardinia, so seven kilometers. All right, this is true or false? Cheese existed before written language. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. True. Yeah. True. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Don, how do you even know that? I was alive back then. Well, because he, he read it. That was the last time I weighed under 100 pounds. Um, I didn't want to eat the maggot years cheese. Ago? Yeah. Uh, from which country does paneer come from? It's a which it, country? Uh, I don't honestly know if there's different countries in India, but I'm going to say India or Bangladesh. I'm going to go with India. We're taking India as yeah. the correct India. answer. Yeah, five out of five, Mr. Douglas. Yay! That means I don't have to walk the road across to, the aisle. Honey, you and I are tired. We have to walk the gift to the oh, audience. I don't know. My legs are shaking. Yeah. 
Congratulations to our audience today who won. If you want to be part of the show, you can join the community on Facebook Live at Hot Stove Society Radio Show or buy tickets to attend on the Hot Stove Society website. We'll make you breakfast. We had a delicious Dahlia Bakery sandwich today. You're listening to us on uh, Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. The show is produced by Pamela Hinckley, Sean McFadden, and our editor is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. And remember, if you miss any episode of the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening and have a fabulous weekend. 